the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. How's your home? Is it everything God requires it to be? Let's talk about that next on today's broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. In this day and age of latchkey and ass-key kids, it's vital and imperative that the godly home be the primary source of their influence. Welcome, this is Truth For Today, and Pastor Phil Howard will take us back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 once again with a message called The Impact of a Godly Home. It's there that we see the importance of a home that is ruled and reigned by Christ, a home where our kids know that that is the case. For the details, here's Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules with today's broadcast of Truth For Today. If it doesn't work in your home, it doesn't work for you. The primary laboratory to test the Bible is your home. Don't try to straighten out the church. Straighten out your home. This church is no better than the homes that comprise it. Sometimes we can't get leadership because the homes are all out of whack. The guy said, I can't be a deacon because my wife and I aren't living the biblical principles. I can't be an elder because the wife and I, we don't have this in line. But he says, an undivided heart. For you see, what fills the heart is what will fill the home. What fills your heart will fill the home. If your heart is full of uh, an activity, your career, your hobby, your gripes, your anger, or your God, whatever fills your heart will overflow to those children, and they'll pick it up without you saying much. They'll know what you love. You can't hide it. What did your folks love? Just kind of think of what your folks loved. I can easily tell you the things my dad loved. My mom. My mom loved coffee, conversation, politics, baseball, a lot of times cigarettes, laughter, buying things on the side without my dad knowing it. <laughs> Let's see. Now, some things. What did my dad love? Real easy. Music. Man, he loved music. None of us kids doubt that. He loved the Bible. Even when he's out of church, he read the Bible. Didn't live it at times, but he, he always loved the Bible. He's always reading it. I think he loved my mother, us kids. Loved a homemade garden. Real easy. What do you think your kids think you love? They love what fills your heart. They love what you talk about the most. That's what they know you love. So whatever fills your heart is what you're going to impress your kids with. But he told them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Some of you are losing your impact because you're mad at your God all the time. 
You're mad at some Christians all the time. You're always ripping on the church. I'm going to tell you, you're poisoning your kids. You're supposed to grow up and know the difference between people with faults and a God that's perfect. He said, love your God with all your heart. Do you? That's a great thing to ask ourselves. The second thing he says, you shall impress these things on your children or teach them diligently to your children. And the word means to sharpen, like an arrow ending. To sharpen them. Sharpen your children. Well, how do you sharpen them? How do you make them sharp about your God? Here's the way you do it. Talk about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. A home where there's a lot of talk going between the children and the parents is healthy. Do you see any danger here when you sit at home? You should talk with them. You know what's replaced talk, don't you? Listening to others talk that don't have your values. TV has replaced parents talking. And kids talking. If you're not having your meals together with your family at night, you're being robbed. Many kids all get their TV trays out. They all sit in the front room and you watch something as stupid as I Love Lucy. That's not family life. That's Hollywood is taking your home over. Who regulates what you do in your home? The TV? The VCR? Or do you have anything to talk about? He says, when you talk, not when you lecture, when you just talk, you sit at home, when you walk along the road. Well, we don't walk along the road anymore. We drive our car two blocks to get some milk. But when you're going along the way, be talking about this God. When you lie down, when you get up. Notice this, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I want to ask you, do you have any visual aids about God in your home? Have any visual aids in your home that reminds children of God? You got any scriptures on the wall? No, we got TV. Matter of fact, we've got the large screen. We're all going blind. We want to see that killing in big, bigger frames. The audiovisual, the devil knew he replaced what God commanded them. And in our culture, we've got the audiovisual system of sin in our front rooms. I admire you that don't let your kids watch a lot of TV. I have friends that said, we don't need TV here. We're dealing with good brains. That's only when you go brain dead. TV is a terrible tool to train a child. Teach them to read. Teach them to talk. How many of you remember these pictures? I remember them. Did you ever see the picture? Oh, it's a redundant question. But what about that picture with the little boy and girl that are walking over the broken bridge? And the angels there. And, and when I was a little boy, I watched it. I just thought, <gasps> you know, I'm thinking, well, they're going to fall. They can't make it. The storm's going. But I saw that angel, and as a little boy, I thought, what in the world is that? And then I had a family member said, that's the angel of the Lord. He encamps around about those who fear him. That was fascinating to me. I used to always be fascinated why Jesus stood at that door so long with that lantern. 
Holman's great picture. Or we had a picture of, of like of Christ with sheep and Christ holding this lamb. And it was an old picture, but it marked our front room for years. Had Christ there with his staff, a sheep, and this flock behind him. What's on your walls? What do your kids hear and see in a week that make them know something more about God? The culture's after them. The school friends are after them. The druggist, the druggie is after them. Your boy will probably see his first condom by the time he's nine. And if your little girl is not stripped by nine, God's watching over her. I didn't say 13, I said nine. And then you go home, and Christian parents are fussing or too fatigued to do anything that helps. And they grow up in a no man's land. He said, when you get in that land, when you walk by the way, when you go somewhere, I've often told the story of how when Deborah was taking lessons in Panol, we lived out here, I lectured her every day, every time I took her to music lessons. These hands are for God. These lessons are being bought with preacher's money. You better not play at some bar. Poor kid, seven years old, getting that lecture every lesson. <laughs> you know, the best times is when I've got alone. In Rodale, our booming outdoor stream is the runoff from all the gutters. But just the little journeys down there, walking over it when full, think they're going to fall in, sometimes pushing them in, things like this. The talks, the informal teaching. We always had disasters having devotions. Maybe one out of every ten tries was good. I mean, somebody would either get sick to their stomach, or somebody would tell a joke at an appropriate time. And the classic was my wife's yawn that would tick me off. Because <laughs> I'd say, let us now have devote children come. And Karen would always do this. We don't have much time. Mm. What do you mean we don't have much time? We're going to memorize First Chronicles 19 tonight. <laughs> we have to work. But she would always say, oh, we don't need a long one. She'd say this in front of the kids. We haven't even got to say, let's not have it long tonight. Don't tell them what the Hebrew says. I don't want to hear the Greek. You know, that really, then, then by the time her and I were upset with each other, now let's have devotions. <laughs> Our father, take Carolyn out. You know, bad. It wasn't good all the time. The best were informal. The best was vacations. The best were the long trips. The best was it just happened. The best is we talked about what filled our heart, not this rigid, structured stuff. That drives them batty. Some of you need to kind of chill out. There's some Christian homes I thank God I wasn't raised in, and they're Christian to the hilt, but the rigidity drives me zonkers. It makes me want to rebel as a pastor. <laughs> the stricter you are with me, the more I want to rebel. And you're the same way. Why do you do your kid that way? You're going to get it. Because we love God in this house. Oh. <laughs> Take them fishing. 
Howard Hendricks said they had two outstanding students that were brothers at Dallas Seminary. And he visited the home one time during a Bible conference. But he's talking to those sons one time. He says, what are the outstanding things you remember about your home? And the two brothers just spoke up quickly. One said, you know, I had a paper route at 4.30 in the morning. And it was not a bit uncommon when I went out. I'd see my dad in the den kneeling, praying. And I still remember that, watching him kneel those early hours of the morning. And the second fond memory I have is at night we wrestled in the front room. How can both be in the same man? He was balanced. He was balanced. God gives these people some warnings. Take these things and indoctrinate. Create an environment. Decorate the walls, the doorpost. The Jews eventually put phylacteries on their forehead. They took this so literal. In other words, surround your child with an audiovisual expression. Put the word on the walls. Put something there on the doorpost. Let them see it. And you talk it. This is a way of life. It's not something you do one hour a week. One hour a week, Christianity cannot preserve your children. There were the world five days a week on that school ground, and it's bad. It's bad. It's worse than you even know about. Our kids are hooked on stuff that's garbage, and they don't know the difference. The home is the bastion. The Lord says, there's three things I'm concerned about you when you go into the land. One is you'll forget me. When you get wells and vineyards you didn't plant, and prosperity comes, verse 12, be, for, be careful not to forget me. He goes on to say in verses 13 to 19, fear me. And the way you'll fear me is you'll serve me and obey me in the land. Don't forget me, the God of the Exodus. And in verses 20 through the end of the chapter, he says, I'm concerned about future generations. That when your sons ask you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees and laws of the Lord our God has commanded you, tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. We need to once again teach our children our sacred history. You need to tell them you used to be in bars, but God saved you. You need to tell them what you were and what you became through Christ. You need to tell your grandchildren. You need to tell your children. And by the way, in chapter 4 and chapter 6, God assumes your influence shall last unto your grandchildren. You're not done parenting until you influence your grandchildren. I think of how my own dad used to pick up Todd, who's here, and Chris. Hey, my sister and them lived in San Pablo. They went to a different church. My sister and them were at the races, and they weren't in church. But my dad made it a part of his schedule to get those kids for Sunday school. And what a thrill it is to see my nephew and niece in this church saved. And my dad had a part. It was worth picking them up. I want to tell you, this country would be in greater danger if there wasn't some grandmas and grandpas. Is while mom and daddy are strung out on drugs in a thousand crazy pursuits, many a grandma and grandpa have stepped up to take over the religious education. I, some years ago, 
heard of the three-generation cycle that's been observed. That in the book of Judges, the cycles of blessing, backsliding, repentance, restoration. Men's lives compare like a David the man with a heart after God, with a Solomon the great playboy of Israel that compromised everything he was told. And then he gave birth to a son of conflict named Rehoboam. And I think of three C's, the generation of conviction or commitment, the generation of compromise, the generation of conflict. The challenge for all of us is to always be the generation of conviction and commitment. And as I heard this thought that was shared with me years ago by Steve Maul, and a youth pastor, he talked about first-generation Christians in a family. Many times saved later in life, came out of a lot of sin, a lot of the wrong stuff, but that when they would get saved, they would be people that had never heard Amazing Grace and sang it with freshness. You'd think they wrote it. They take sin seriously. They can't play with all the stuff people in the church can play with because they used to be an alcoholic. They used to be on drugs. They used to be a slave to certain music. And so they're very, they have scruples more than people second, third generation. They're the kind of people that have this evangelistic burden for family, and sometimes they don't have all the knowledge, but they have a zeal. Everybody knows they're saved. They may not win them, but everybody knows they got religion. Oftentimes, they're the people that uh, serve and pray and have this intense zeal. They're first gener- they, and I notice first-generation people, they're always longing for Christ's coming. That, that thought that Christ is coming again overwhelms first-generation Christians. There's something about it. But that generation many times gives birth to a generation, their children, that if it's not careful, several things happen. According to the Word of God, if you've been forgiven much, you love much. And when you haven't been forgiven much, you don't love much. Jesus said that in Luke 7. So that sometimes the second generation that's been sheltered and never been out there in the bar, they begin to compromise. Sin looks good to kids who've grown up in church, who've never tasted of what mom and dad came out of. And their curiosity, they want to try premarital sex. They want to try, and and then all of a sudden if mom and dad said, don't do that, they'll say, well, you did it. You did it. Yeah, but I was unsaved. I didn't know the Lord. Well, I want to do it. It'll cost you. It'll bring pain. And so they begin to compromise. They become very bored with church, I notice. They've got everything figured out. They're more concerned with how long I preach instead of what I preach. They sing Amazing Grace at a mute level because they're not into it. First generation people who've been saved out of sin sing, Amazing! Oh man, it's like gut level. I try to raise my kids on that kind of music. I didn't want them to just hear these kind of people. Amazing Grace, how sweet to sing. Oh, shut up. God doesn't accept it. We don't want to hear it. You're in suffering. Don't, you don't, have, don't, don't, don't even move your lips. 
You don't mean it. Don't, don't, don't. John Newton wrote two greatest songs. Just, just shut up. It's nauseating. If it's that hard, don't do it. It's not acceptable worship. It's nauseating. And then they give birth, this generation, to the generation of Rehoboam. They grow up in conflict. And this is the generation that everything begins to disintegrate. And everything begins to shatter. Their grandma is just a faint, oh yeah, grandma had religion. Well, my folks weren't as strict as grandma and grandpa. And I'm filing for a divorce. From a guy I married in church that neither one of us have practiced the Bible. Because church was just a culture. It wasn't a conviction. I just grew up in the church culture. I know all the inside jokes and all the inside songs. And I know everything about church. But I don't know God. And you've got to start all over. And many times the whole family tree is obliterated. I've got unsaved nieces and nephews. I've got many unsaved cousins. And most of the ten children of my dad's people knew the Lord. Maybe eight of them for sure. Where are you in the generations? Are you committed? Do you have conviction? Have you still got the freshness of being forgiven? And amazing grace still means something to you? Are you the play around type? You're compromising. You're playing with sin. You're falling in love with the world. You're in love with its message and you're tempted to pursue its goods. Well, your children are probably in conflict unless God has started a fresh work. Every generation, we need God to do a fresh work that we might become the committed of the first generation. A godly home. I've never found a perfect Christian home. But I'm always impressed when there's somebody in a home that takes God seriously. As Carolyn and I watched the news here the other night of the little girl that had been left by her parents down south as they came north. I don't know this of the man. Her father might be a kind man. I'm only making an external judgment. But when they flashed the picture of the man, I cringed to think of having lunch with such a man. And yet I saw a little seven-year-old vulnerable girl that if that man wanted to take off her clothes, she wouldn't have a chance. If that man wanted to be dirty with her, she couldn't get out of the room. And I was scared at the looks of the man to be with him myself. And I looked at that darling little seven-year-old, vulnerable, innocent girl that could be saved and count for God. And I thought, children are stuck with their parents. They can't get away. Many get away only with the scars of abuse and hate. What has God put in your arms? How are you influencing them? How are you shaping them? Do you have time to pray with them? If you don't have time to pray with them, you'll have to take time to visit them in jail maybe. Because they need you desperately. More than any generation has ever needed God in their homes. It's this generation. We need godly parents who love God with all their heart. You're the really the last bastion for your children.
And with that, we come to the end of our time together here on Truth For Today, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules with our teacher and pastor, Pastor Phil Howard. As we close out our program today, we would invite you to contact us. Let us know how the broadcast has encouraged you, has ministered to your walk and relationship with Christ. Now, there are a couple of ways that you can contact us. By phone, obviously the easiest, 855-833-9864. Again, simply call 855-833-9864. You can also write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. 94547 is the zip code. Now, the easiest way to get in touch with us would be through our website, truthfortodayradio.org. By the way, men, we would invite you to join us for our Valley Bible Church Men's Conference, Walking to Win. You know, life is a journey, and how you get through it matters. Abiding in Him makes all the difference in the world. This series will be taken from John chapter 15, and again, the conference is called Walking to Win. It's Friday, March 9th, check in at 5.30, and Saturday, March 10th, with breakfast at 8 a.m. The price includes dinner Friday evening, breakfast, and lunch on Saturday, and each attendee's packet will include a free book that will be useful on your journey, a DVD conference booklet, pen, and snacks. Again, that's Friday, March 9th, and Saturday, March 10th. The early bird special is $45 until the end of this month. After that, it's $60 a person, $30 for Saturday only. For information, simply stop by our website or give us a call, truthfortodayradio.org, or again, simply call 855-833-9864. Would you also bear in mind this radio broadcast is available through listener support. As you link arms with us financially, we are able to continue the ministry here on this radio station. So please consider that as you contact us. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.